So, okay. Welcome to the podcast, Neil Hewitt. Hello. Thank you, Marion. Great to finally have you on here. So for people who don't know you, Neil, you're one of my Surveyor Hub admins. So you help me administer the group. Um, and that's things like keeping track of conversation, but encouraging people, especially if they've had their first post. Sometimes when people post things and we don't know what it is, because, you know, it's such a wide and varied industry and sector that we work in. We admins have a good chat with each other to think, is that right? Should we? Uh, I think we do. If there's something that is not 100% clear cut, we'll have a, in a sense, oh, wow. online. There are cases where it's very, very clear cut. Uh, and obviously, uh, whichever admin sees it first takes action, then lets the others know. But most of the time, it's a question of just having that powwow and getting a general consensus of how people mm. feel. So tell me uh, and the listeners a bit about your business. Run it as self-employed, started off about five years ago. I was working previously in social housing, worked for councils before in private housing, social housing, trained as an environmental health officer way, way back in 99, gradually moved into housing, then into social housing, at which time studied for the Home Inspector Diploma, then managed to be asset work back in 2013, so I could immediately start selling level three surveys. And I quite literally hit ground running with that. Um, had you always worked for yourself when you did surveys, did you, or did you work for a firm? No, I always worked for myself completely. Uh, so I've never worked for any, never been employed in that particular activity. So I don't think I could ever be employed doing that anyway, not not with my method of operation. And I think a lot of people are the same as well. So gradually, the social housing company I worked for, things started changing an awful lot. I was tupid over from one role to another, which drastically changed what I was doing because I used to deal with what's known as an arm's length management organisation. So I was at a fairly high level managing that because it's a very complex arrangement. Then I ended up actually working for the Almo, which meant 50% of what I was doing I could no longer do. So essentially, I was just involved doing EPCs, a little bit of other work. But then one day, my boss called me in, and it was clear that they were going to have a review, uh, that I'd be made redundant. So we came to an agreement, all sort of hush-hush, obviously. Then left that about five years ago. I'd already been experimenting with the work to see if that was viable or not. With uh, surveys. Yes. It's very scary going from employed, having that huge comfort blanket around you, to then going out totally on your own, being completely self-employed and reliant upon yourself only, mm. which is obviously a conversation a lot of us have on we, the Surveyor Hub. We do, yeah. And I get a lot of clients reach out to me for coaching on that. You know, yeah. the, one of the big questions is, should I stay or should I go? Yeah, precisely. Uh, and Sometimes it's better if you can be pushed. Well, that's interesting yeah. because I started working for myself. I wasn't pushed. I yeah. left, but I hadn't didn't have a plan as to uh, you know to what I was going to do. But sometimes when you're you're in that situation and your your hand is forced in some way, mm -hmm. then you realise you have got the strength and skills to just get on and do it because needs must. At the end of the Very day. much. I think an awful lot of people out there are more than capable of going out and working on their own. It's just having the confidence to do that and to go through the right decision-making process. 
And I think above all, coming up with a good, sustainable business model. And I think that's where an awful lot of people struggle. We can see that with people thinking about how much they'll charge, how much work mm. they take on, and even simple things such as how to get the referrals, where they source work from, do they go through panels, internet solicitors, etc. There's a lot to think about. Did yeah. um, When you started out then, you said about business model, did you have a plan? Not really, no. I was on the internet. I used a lot of various panels, such as Really Moving, a few others, which were generally a complete nightmare to deal with. Yes, indeed, I should have had a much, much better plan in place right at the very beginning. And so I've literally created it as I go along, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, all business plans should have a degree of flexibility anyhow. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's not the plan. It's the planning that makes yep. a difference. It's the working out what you do and don't want to do, what your hardline boundaries are. It's the planning that makes the difference. Not Those boundaries are probably the one area that I did stray on the most, not actually setting out very clearly to clients exactly what the scope of my work is. So I often did work in the past that I should never have done. And I admit that now, whereas now I've got the confidence to set those very, very clear boundaries. I mean, I had an example a few weeks ago, I was due to survey 1930s concrete built house, seaside location, architect involvement. And I was a little bit cautious about it. Then I discussed it with a few other surveyors on the surveyor hub. And clearly a very certain legal case came to mind when thinking about that. So I decided at the end of the day just to cancel. Do you, do you mean, sorry, on that, do you mean the heart and large? Heart, heart versus large, yes. It was a similar situation. Architect involved uh, for refurbishment works, seaside location, so it was exposed. So I thought at the end of the day, yes, I'll lose a client, I'll lose a fee, but I've got to think about the greater risk involved. So that's one situation, good discussion on the hub, and then a decision to cancel. But did you just, did you, was that more that, well, the risk that this could go wrong and I'll get sued because of the heart and large case? Or was it a, when I think about my expertise, my skill level, you know, was it that sort of boundary or was it more? It, a, it was more the former about attempting to be sued, saying, five, ten years' time when I'm retired. I had no qualms about the expertise. I was fine with that. Mm. It was a bit more involved. Part of the problem was it had external wall insulation that had been put on only a few weeks ago. So the question there is what will happen in ten years' time? Mm. And that was a massive unknown quantity. And I know, as we've seen, whatever you write down, if it ends up in front of a judge, it can be interpreted almost anyway, and that's just totally unpredictable. Mm. So yeah, it's it's interesting the that that whole decision making process because on the one hand we can get quite fearful really of some of these legal cases, mm-hmm. and for a lot of younger surveyors, you know there haven't been big cases like this for quite some time. Not really, not, not particularly not on the defect side. Yes, there's been valuation cases that have come up, but I'm always sort of curious as to are we saying no to this kind of work through fear? Or are you making a reasoned judgment that it's not the job for you because of some of the risks? And there's a difference, I think. I, I think in this case, it was a reasoned judgment. It certainly wasn't fear mm. because, I mean, I still go out and do my surveying exactly as I do normally. 
don't think that's changed yeah. at all. So the heart versus large, large mostly has not changed exactly how I go about my day-to-day work. Obviously, if heart versus large had not occurred, then I probably would have continued to do that survey. So yes, for that in that particular situation, heart versus large did influence mm. my particular situation. I did not say that to the client. I just remain slightly ambiguous about my rationale behind that. And to a degree, I think I was backed up because the client then got very, very abusive afterwards. So I think in hindsight, I did not want him as a client. Yeah. So I'm quite glad I got rid of him anyway. Something that comes up in the hub regularly, actually, is is client behaviour and questions they ask. They're asking too many questions. You know, how dare they? Yeah. Uh, you know, all, all this sort of confusion over what do you mean they want to talk to me? They want to ask me questions. I mean, obviously, you know, that's my bag with the whole customer experience and, and claims background that I have that I'm always interested in. Well, how does it get to a point that a client is upset with you? Or how can it get to a point where, you know, a client comes to you with a list of questions? You know, or they think that it's an insurance guarantee and they're asking you about your PI. And for me, it starts right at the very start of how you set set up your shop front, you know, how you pitch your stall of, you know, the kind of surveyor you are, the work that you do, the reassurance that you offer people. You know, if you're at the front, you're saying, I'm providing you with a tool, it's a service, you know, a tool that will help you buy your property, not a guarantee that everything's going to be hunky-dory. So somewhere at the start, the messaging in some way, shape or form is not quite right. And then I think the, the emphasis is that it needs it's a service, not necessarily a product. Mm, mm. Obviously, we have our terms and conditions, and I think all of us are now making it clearer in larger font and in bold, this is not a warranty. But I think also, if you can, have a telephone conversation with the client at a fairly early stage. I mean, normally I'd get an email inquiry or telephone inquiry I don't make any decision then. I'll then go away, research the property using whatever means I can do to do that. There's nothing worse than quoting a fee on the telephone mm. and then finding out it's far, far more complex. So it's about getting all of that information, come back with a sensible fee, make sure that you can do it, check your timetable to slot it in, and then also that you're happy with the client as well. Because unfortunately, yeah, yeah. we all engineer our prices or our timetable based on quite simply whether we want to work with that client or not. Uh, there are nice people to work for who are an absolute pleasure to work with and there are others who can unfortunately be an absolute nightmare. And I, I think in a sense we've become a bit like psychologists uh, assessing people's behaviour. And yes, we want it's, we think to ourselves, oh, I enjoy that conversation with the person. They'll be a pleasure to work with. It's exactly like, like the shop front. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're working in a little shop, you enjoy chatting to a customer or, you know, if you're working in a bar as well, you enjoy talking to people. It's not just purely a financial transaction. You'll sit there and have a good old natter with the people. And sometimes it's the same with clients. You can end up having a, you can digress from the actual job in hand and talk about other things. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, um, when you get to that, that point, you're actually building a relationship with your client. That's what that's what you're doing ultimately. You're not just selling a service to them. It's a you're building a relationship. And when you get to that point, once you this, I think there's something there about a client who who knows you, trusts you, 
you know, likes yeah. you, no like and trust is the other key things to to sales. You know, so they they trust you, but also that I think there's needs to be an element of appreciation that they will appreciate the work that you do. That is very important because a lot of when people when they phone up, they have a lot of people have no idea about how to choose a surveyor. Unfortunately, they still get very, very confused about the levels of survey offered. So, you know, obviously you get people phoning up for a structural survey, a full survey, a basic survey, etc. So it's an absolute minefield. So it's then a question of sitting, discussing it with them, running through what their needs are, what they want to know, what sort of knowledge they have. Are they a DIY fanatic? Are they coming in as a completely naive, such as a first-time buyer? I had a very long conversation with somebody yesterday by email who's buying a thatched timber frame. And what I was trying to do was establish what they knew. So eventually I managed to work out that they've got a restored Regency property house, brick built. But then I was trying to go to great lengths to explain all the intricacies that you can have with thatch and timber frame. In a sense, I'm almost interviewing mm. the potential clients because I've got a great belief that only the right people should take over certain types of property. Those people are prepared to be custodians of those property for a period of time and don't simply look at it as a rose-covered cottage out in the countryside, of which obviously all of us will get lots and lots of inquiries, especially at the moment. Mm. So once I'm fairly convinced that they're committed to that type of property, they want to take it on as a project for life, then I'm more than happy to continue that relationship. I'll go out and do the survey. I'll explain the limitations. And then hopefully they'll be very satisfied with that. Oh, you're a tough one, aren't you? Interviewing, <laughs> interviewing your clients. But I think... It, it's a bit like that, yes. Yeah, I, I think, think there's something... There's a responsibility that we have, particularly with more with period properties, older properties, you know, not just that our clients understand what they're taking on, but that they, they understand the responsibility. You know, there is our heritage um, within this country, yeah. you know, the... Yeah. It's like somebody, somebody on the hub commented about in the West Country that all the cob properties are covered in concrete. And it's a bit of a similar problem here in Suffolk and Norfolk. Virtually all the timber frame are covered in concrete. And they're all virtually destined to disappear in the next 50 or 60 years. So in a sense, I see it as an indirect project to try to restore the properties to what they should be. It's a gargantuan project. Unfortunately, it also takes people who've got the commitment and the money as well at the same time. So, you know, I like to think that myself and other surveyors and other interested parties are involved in that, restoring back a little bit of our heritage, a vital part of our heritage. What great sense of purpose, though, to your work. I think it is, yes. It's, it's not just going out and doing the job. It's just trying to think a bit more about the whole picture of what is out there. It can be a challenge. Um, yes, and I do find it niggling sometimes, the conditions yeah, of some you know, places. It's worth it. It's the difference it makes, and that's what, what a purpose is. You yes. Know, the, yeah. the mission that you're on to protect these buildings in your yeah. own way. You know, you're not one-man national trust, you know, but in your own way, you're finding a way to 
make a difference and purpose-driven businesses like that I I absolutely admire and they don't have to be big businesses it can be one-man bands with that sense of purpose then and, and you talked about working in social housing um, and I think you came did you come into surveying late in your career of you uh, very late in my yeah, career so yes. tell, tell me about your your early years and how you found your way to, to this kind uh, of well my probably my longest period job I had was with a supermarket Safeway well, I worked from about 1984 to 1996 in their quality control department down in Kent. And strangely enough, I know supermarkets sound vastly different to surveying, but I worked in quality control. Mm-hmm. And there are an awful lot of similarities. In other words, I was examining something and then making applying a specification, legislation, etc., and then coming to a decision. And that decision could be that a batch of food, a factory, was not acceptable. There were lots of relationships with various people in the process, everything from a factory cleaner right up to the managing director. And I think that's very similar to what we do in surveying, because obviously we've got in supermarket business, there were the suppliers. I equate them to estate agents. So they always turn around and say, our product is fine, our house is fine. So it's exactly the same type of relationship. You've always got that sort of anti-feeling from the other side and that you feel pressure is being applied on the surveyor. So again, going back to establishing our business, having that experience, that maturity, not necessarily in terms of age, but maturity in terms of working experience and that confidence and how to be gently assertive, I think are absolute essential skills in our particular role. So I think that was a very valuable experience. Back that up some years ago, again, it went review after review, did a degree in environmental health. Then I worked in various departments and local authority, ended up working in housing for various reasons. That was very, very good hands-on experience. A lot of HMO, landlord enforcement. So I got to receive a really gutty side of things, particularly fire enforcement as well. And then over into social housing, which mm. is in a sense where my current career kicked off. And you talked about those those skills, but really, you know, there are lots of transferable skills that are really oh, absolutely. playing. But yes. what, I think what was key is you talked about maturity. Yeah. And that's what it gives you, that what that that life experience of dealing with all these different kinds of people. And for me, that's what makes particularly residential surveyors special, is that that element of life experience and maturity, that whatever's thrown at you, you can handle, you know, whether you think you can or not, you you can Mm. handle it. Because when we walk into people's homes, we walk into their lives. And you can't see some of the things that we see. You know, and and we're dealing, you know, the the fact is, you know, house moves happen because of birth, deaths, marriages, Mm. divorce and debt. Ultimately, you know, and so you're always dealing with some kind of human element, catastrophe or success. A lot of vendors are very stressed because they're going through that phase in their life. Matrimonial split-ups are extremely common. Mm. So I often find people are very stressed about that. There's pressure because their partner's left the house. They're putting them under pressure, obviously trying to get a good price for the house. And how do you Uh, deal with that, Neil, then, when your clients are particularly stressed? I just explain 
what I'm going to do, I say to them, I know a lot of people don't like a company going around with a vendor, but I say to the vendor, you can come around with me for part of the survey, see what I'm doing, talk about it. We can gain a little bit more about the history. I'll be as open as I possibly can, respecting obviously my client confidentiality. I'll maybe sit down, have a cup of tea or coffee with them to begin with as well, because most of that seems to be a very a brilliant way of an icebreaker as well at the same time. I had one lady recently, again, going through a split up of some sort. I was doing my work and I turned around and she put down a tray with a lovely cup of coffee and a tray of very sculptures chocolates and I thought that was really lovely for her to do and afterwards we just sat down had a little bit of a chit chat partly about the house partly about life as well I gained a lot more information about the house like that as well Mm. so it can indirectly benefit the survey and you get more information out of the vendor if you can find the time to sit down and talk with them plus if you get a cup of coffee that's helpful yeah and again another thing we talk about in the hub is a cups of coffee or tea you wouldn't drink <laughs> oh yes and in a lot of situations it's a no definitely it's, yeah it's not not always yes. that uh that nice yes. yeah but the di- you're right the difference it makes again it's just about relationships isn't it with yeah. people you're forming a, re- a business relationship with somebody for a short period in time mm. yeah although the vendor would never see it as a business relationship but most wouldn't in a sense i think to a tiny tiny degree you're you're their friend for a very short period in time. So I think you need to come across in a friendly, professional manner as best as you can within that, you know, within the scope of the survey and your terms of engagement. And I think a lot of people want to be friendly anyway when, when you go around to their house. You're on, um, you're on their territory. Yes. At the end of the day. And the number of times I've gone to a property, and I don't know if it was just being a woman, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one particular lady that had three house sales fall through. There was nothing wrong with the property, just one of those unfortunate things that happened. And um, I remember knocking knocking on the door, you know, sort of walking in, and the lady just burst into tears because she thought I'd be, I was another big, hulking, great surveyor walking in, and I was just this really nice, friendly person, you know, and just the stress yeah. and the overwhelm, you know, it was uh, really felt for her. Hopefully the, people can be very stressed by that. Hopefully the sale finally went through. <laughs> I've had one lady say, me coming around was like going to the dentist. Mm. And another lady who had cancer, we are trying to talk about the house afterwards, and she burst into tears because she thought everything was going to fall apart. Mm. So it's obviously very difficult to manage situations like that. Um, but all you can do is just be as calm and collected as you possibly can. If time is on your side... And use that to advantage as well, rather than just saying thank you, goodbye, and disappearing and leaving that poor person in the dark. And it's building in that time. You know, do we really have to run around and be so tight on our times and our and our appointments? We can allow some time in. Well, a lot of people are because of pressures from above. And like I said earlier, I've never been employed in that context. And your feedback reflects your time, surely, you know? Precisely, and I would build that in anyway, so I've got ample time. So if I, I do two a week, two surveys a week, so I've usually got ample time to be able to sit down and talk mm-hmm. with somebody, and that's usually far more more than welcome. And I'll usually try to get to a house a little bit early. Again, that tends to relax people. I hate people being late, give them an, an exact, a good indication of how long I'm going to be there, what I'm going to do, if I go looking in cupboards, up in the loft, little things like that. No, okay, so, so discussion is mm-hmm. as open as it can be, and people do appreciate that. 
So you've um, you've been one of our survey hub admins, I think, pretty much from the start. When I put a post out saying "Help!" And there's all these people in the group. <laughs> um, how have you have you found it, and what have you learnt over this sort of past? It's gone up for two years now, actually, since we've had the survey. Yeah, it's been two years. I've enjoyed it, obviously. Huge thanks for accepting me as one of the admins. Oh, thank you it's a great, for being my right-hand man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's a great insight into networking because obviously so many of us work on our own or in very, very limited circles. It came at exactly the right time, obviously, with the past year and a bit as well, so it's perfect timing with that. But I find it a, a brilliant way to communicate with people. Obviously, there are challenges keeping the scope of conversations limited at times. I think by far, most of the people do appreciate that. One or two want to extend things out a little bit more into a bit of a training or taking people's advice as absolute gospel. Yeah, and that and that's one of the things we, we try and make clear and reiterate yep. is that we can't diagnose from a picture yeah. You know, it's it's not that kind of forum and how that would sort that would affect my PI. You know, the 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 whole idea is it's just a discussion for a point yeah. of view, but you can ask advice. We don't like homework questions. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, if obvious. students, you know, are struggling with something and it's a, and it's a homework question, then post it, but share what you think. Give us some insights, you know. That just helps the conversation. And also for students to remember that, you know, you're your future mentors and your future employers are in the group. So mm. think about how that how that looks. I think I think in some ways I've surprised myself because I'm by far no in no way am I a social media expert. I mean in my own personal Facebook, I barely use it. I hardly ever post anything. Me neither. On, on this. Neither. You mm. know, I, you know, as you probably know, I tend to go to town at times. <laughs> well yeah, we do have to kneel, rein it back, <laughs> back get carried away. But that's the idea. It's just a different way. You know, it's a free platform that we can use. It's very accessible to everybody. Um, I know some people don't want to be on Facebook and they ask me, can I create it on another platform? I think, mm. no, I don't make any money out of this. This is a, yeah. all done out of the goodness of our hearts for the greater good. And and I think that's the social impact it, it's having on the industry. You know, over the last year, we've seen Oh, you know, we've seen some uh, loss of members, a couple of members that we've that we've lost that we've yeah. all really been upset about. COVID, you know, actually been a bit scared to go out and do inspections. What do, what do we do? What don't we do? Having that discussion. No judgment over anybody who had to go out and earn, but equally no judgment from people who felt that the risk was too high and they had to stay at home and then subsequently shielded or, or whatever. Uh, and then asking questions of, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question and I would rather somebody asked and got help and signposted and than to not which is not great for customers but also the stress that it puts on you you know of, of many of us feel isolated in our work anyway you know I, I think somebody posted some feedback I, th- I think it was uh, I think it was Paul Paul Williams and he said it's like having a thousand I think it's like a thousand surveyors in your own personal office to ask questions or, yeah, or something like yeah. that and, uh, and and I think what I've enjoyed most out of it is just seeing how people have connected yeah. got to know each other and as things have opened up they've gone and you know met, met each other for a beer or a coffee or or just know that there are other people out there and it's a range of talents and skills and competencies that are mm. out there as well I mean even if you're in a small office other people you work with might be absolutely brilliant 
but there still might be a very limited knowledge range for whatever reason. So I think you can tap into virtually every surveying skill and even step outside those surveying skills into the so-called soft skills as well. Mm. Business skills, how to create a business plan, look, you know, how to sort out your PR, on team dozen other things like that. Yeah, pricing, TCs, yes. report yes. types. Um, yes. This is what I've seen today. I've absolutely no idea what it is. Um, oh. I'm doing a bit of DIY at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's usually me because I don't get to do serve out and do surveys these days. Yeah, so your fireplace looks absolutely brilliant. So I like. Yeah, so, so I posted for those listening. I posted. I've got um, a marble fireplace. Yes, Victorian house, and it's a. Uh, I have a love hate relationship with it because it's like a maroon with black and green mm. and white bits in. And when we first bought the property, the whole room was painted bright pink, which made the maroon fireplace mm. look very attractive. Not. But it's got a bit of damage on the bottom. And I was just sat there thinking, hmm, what well, that is posting the hub. Lo and behold, there's a marble expert in there. Who knew? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, discussions like that, not strictly surveying, but it's still very, very interesting. It's great to discuss. It is. Uh, and I, I remember years ago when I worked as a surveyor uh, in Croydon, there was a guy who worked in my office, Paul Fusnolo, his name was. And remember him telling me that at the time he was chair of the Lime Mortar Association. Mm. I remember thinking, wow, I didn't even know that kind of thing existed. But it yeah. does. <laughs> it does. I've just recently joined up the, the Lime Forum, which until a while ago I did not know existed. But that, again, we used to have those informal discussions, training events and such like. So again, it's all about very useful information. Yeah, just just yeah. fascinating. The the thing I um notice in the hub, I mean, because it's a Facebook group, we can see some of the demographics. And I'm pleased to say we've got just over 25% women. You know, the majority are in their 40s, but we do have quite a few mature surveyors in the group. Mm-hmm. And it's always nice for them to share that they've learned something new and every day's a school day, but also you know, just that their their fears and worries actually about their future and the worry of the eye runoff cover, you know, how they're going to sell their business, how they're going to exit their business. And in the coaching I always do, I start off with what's your exit plan? You know, what what do you want to be be doing? And I think it's such a shame for people just to just close their business when there are different models that can be set up. There are different things that that you you can do. You're on the more mature side of <laughs> yeah so I'll, I'll be, be 60 this year yeah and how are you feeling about about that and you know your work the way I see it is I'm very slowly gradually tuning down to retirement I don't get full pensions until I'm 67 so it's a mixture of state and some private pensions so if I work beyond the age of 67 it'll be very very limited work anyhow I probably will just purely as a matter of interest. I've got roughly a five-year timescale in my mind to wind down. So I think I'd like to be working part-time only by the age of 65, definite. At the moment, obviously, it's a question of surveying. It's very, very physical. Mm. So yes, each year goes by. That's more and more of a challenge. But on the other hand, I'm still doing it. I've, I've had some very difficult to access lofts recently. I've still managed to get in and out. And that's probably my greater concern is getting back out of the lofts rather than getting out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all part of the risk assessment. I can still I'll keep doing that as long as I possibly can. 
So I guess now more than ever, you need to look after your health and your well-being. Very much so. That's always a priority when I go out about on site. Always lots of safety hazards of innumerable types. I had one last week, stepped on a inspection chamber cover and the cover gave way. Luckily, I managed to step aside. It was only about 18 inches deep anyway. But I, you know, that was a very, very simple demonstration of the hazards that you can find on site. And surprisingly, that house has been converted to a children's home. Yeah. So lot, there were lots of very significant safety hazards in that house. So that was quite an interesting one. So what would your advice be to any of the younger surveyors out there? What would you give back? What would you like to share? Oh, big, big, big question. Be totally open and honest about the skills that you've got. Be willing to set your boundaries. Discuss any contentious situation whatsoever with a colleague or on the surveyor hub. Make sure that you're not straying outside your comfort zone. Don't bite off more than you can chew. If they're going out into the work world of work, probably to be employed for a period of time before thinking about self-employment, just get that general experience of life, surveyors, and how to work with other people. Um, not to be too obsessed about formal qualifications at the moment. Get a bit of experience, see which way they want to go, because obviously there's always that argument between asset risks and risks various degrees, etc. I think formal qualifications you can tend to do a little bit later in life anyway. But I think getting that experience of some sort is absolutely critical. And then they can decide which way they want to go, whether they're going to concentrate purely on condition surveying or if they want to work more in the general world of surveying, such as becoming a fully chartered surveyor. That, for instance, um, it's always an impossible question to answer. It depends on people's mm -hmm. situation. And, you know, we, we often see the younger surveyors, and by that I mean newly qualified surveyors, sort of rush rush to pick the type of work that they want to do to get the qualifications that they all need. When really you just need to let it bed down and get experience. And and, and I would add on to, to the great things that you said, look at that personal development and understand more about yourself because when it comes to making decisions just like at the start of the, this recording we talked about you know that that property that you decided not to do we have to make decisions like that sometimes you know of what we feel pressured to what we expected to yes it's a good fee all of those things but you need to know the wisdom to know what to do in the moment Yes, yeah. For that, you need yeah. to know yourself really well. We just don't do enough of that. We, we, we chase all the CPD and the letters and all of that, but we don't do enough work on ourselves, which can really help us feel confident. I think that applies in many walks of mm. life. We don't really know, especially for school, people at school, being under pressure to perform well in their A-levels, get A-star, et cetera, and to go straight to university. I think people need to understand far, far more about what their character is, what they want to do in life, and what they're capable of doing and not capable of doing. And it's exactly the same in the world of surveying as well. It's such a diverse profession. There are so many areas to work in. And I think anybody who does their degree sets out on APC, in a lot of cases, they're still not going to know exactly what area they're going to work in. And a lot of that comes down to fate, exactly the experience you get in a particular firm where you're working. 
So that would probably set you out on that pathway for the rest of your life. And again, in the survey, we often get that people have gone down a certain pathway. They then think of changing, probably because they're not totally happy with what they're doing. And they may be at a stage in their life, they want to do something that they thoroughly enjoy. So it's about having that conviction in your thought process to go ahead and do that. Mm. And the thing is, it's never too late. Yeah. You know, just like you came into... I did a degree place. late in life, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website, lovesurveying.com. And don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate, review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform. It really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do. See you next time.